Hello and welcome to Public Sector Perspectives, ideas and insights about the public sector during the COVID crisis. I'm Hayley Rickardson from IPA Victoria. This is part two of our discussion with Ben Schrum and Tom Craven from Cube Group, where we take a deep dive into their latest report from response to recovery, delivering public value through the waves of the COVID-19 crisis. Cube Group is a consultancy group that works exclusively with the for public purpose sector and you can access their full report on their website. In this episode, we take a closer look at waves three and four. Wave three being the rising complications and increased complexity in service delivery due to a lack of early intervention. And wave four being the deep social and economic damage we're preparing to experience due to COVID-19. So wave three looks at the rising complications and increased complexity, particularly in relation to uh, a lack of early intervention in in social services, mental health services or education, for example. And the sort of effect of that wave of disruption seems like it will also be coinciding with how we create our quote-unquote new normal in the public sector. So how would you approach adapting the workplace to the new normal while not sort of losing focus on early intervention? I think, I think it was Ben that, who said earlier, uh, uh, thinking about this as the great disruptor and um, uh, the reopening of our public services is, a, is a, in many ways a unique opportunity. It's a chance to, to start, not, not so much with a blank, blank slate, but to, to really st- think strategically about you, how you recommence your services so you're not just going back to normal. I actually, for one, would, don't see any tension between that and early intervention and, and perhaps on the other side in particular, see, see this as an opportunity for a level of early intervention that we maybe haven't had before. Um, obviously, the, the last few months we've missed opportunities for early intervention. So at, at, a, at a first instance, we would certainly be encouraging organisations to, to rethink their, their planning and recognising that they've having missed those opportunities, the level of complexity and um, and the service delivery challenges that are coming will be will be very real, and they they need to be factored in. The people that you're working with, um, our lives don't don't stand still during that crisis, and so people who are having uh, challenges and, and deteriorating outcomes, we we expect those to have um, exacerbated through this crisis, and 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 public organisations are being ready for that. But in terms of of opening up, there are several ways in which that creates a an opportunity to do things differently and to create a, a new normal that invests more in early intervention. Firstly, governments have demonstrated a willingness to invest. Um, so both both at the Commonwealth level and at state level governments are clearly eager to invest in a recovery and it looks like there's considerable investment coming across all parts of, of public services, which is a really positive thing. And then secondly, just the, the process of adapting to the crisis we've been through um, has no doubt created all sorts of innovation um, for public value services to work from. So health services, for example, have have adopted telehealth in ways in which have been desirable for a very long time. I think um, those who who are close to the health system um, would have loved to have seen this level of uptake in remote service delivery in healthcare for a very, very long time. And the crisis has enabled a degree of change there that has been very positive and one we would have liked to have seen anyway. Uh, so that that disruption has created uh, those two things. I think create an opportunity for public services to do things very very differently, um, um, and therefore, uh, you know, to be a proactive public service leader, you can be thinking about as you as you reopen 
what what is a new normal that is um, that better delivers your values and your mission than than we had today. Um, one example of that we'd love to put on the table is the idea of the missing middle, which is something we've been talking about. Well, not just us, but but others have been talking about for quite a while. There are a sort of a systematic nature in our service system to create a missing middle between uh, low-level general services that that many people in the in the in the community um, receive, um, and then a large gap between that and the much more intensive tertiary services for people who are in at points of crisis. There is this persistent large gap in the middle for people with emerging or moderate level needs um, that never reach the thresholds and the priorities and, until they're in crisis, but are too complex for our general um, widespread universal services. There's a persistent gap. It was, it was raised by the Mental Health Royal Commission, but we see it in so many parts of our service system. And now is an opportunity to fill that gap, um, to reopen our services or invest the new um, sort of stimulus investment that's coming from government, not just in more of the same, but, but into those service gaps that could really make a difference in terms of intervening earlier in people's lives. Of that time, and I think the, that missing middle is just a great example of um, you know, where we need to be quite targeted, as you described it, and responding to our deepening understanding of the needs of individuals that might be falling through the cracks in the system. And I think there is definitely a danger here as we come out the other side of this and look at disruption and what it's meant for our operating models, our services, our policies, that we do start to see a thousand flowers blooming. Um, so we do need to, I think, be quite cognizant of where we're investing in those changes, the new services, policy directions, um, and where the funding will flow. We can't be all things to all people. We need to make sure we're targeted to um, those who need it most, where we're going to make the biggest impact in our deepening and, and I hope redefined understanding of what public value um, looks like. I think also the um, another danger that that we need to kind of guard against is is not being I suppose I'd say not being agile enough as a public purpose sector in moving to the new normal. Um, and I, I think that's about being being a bit more fleet of foot when it comes to new pilot program services um, and moving away from perhaps more traditional longer term you know, block funded programs and, and major projects where we almost bring more of an IT service orientation, you know, agile, agile methodologies, design thinking, fail fast, iterative design and prototyping to some of our policies and services that allow us to, to try some things and actually be willing to say, you know what, okay, that didn't work, pull it back, reimagine them rather than thinking every pilot must continue into an ongoing steady state service, a more agile model of saying, in a disrupted state, it is a new normal, and in a new normal, you've got to try some things, and not all of those are going to hit home. So being kind to ourselves about saying, we've got to try some new ways of doing this, rolling it out, recognising when it hasn't hasn't worked, quickly pivoting, um, and being able to um, to make a bit of a mindset shift around the way we roll, the way we roll out service design um, across the sector with much more flexibility. From um, I think from some of the some of the dynamics I've been seeing is there 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 does seem to be a real willingness to innovate and adapt amongst public value organisations in relation to, I mean, it's, it comes from necessity, of course, but it's actually been, it's been really impressive and really admirable to see the way in which a lot of organisations have adapted quickly to deliver their services in this environment and, and to achieve levels of change that, that have been really positive and, and will continue to be really positive even, even after all this is over. Um, I think the one note of caution I wanted to sound though is is the need for good and just smart evaluation of those of those new those innovations. I think there's clearly going to be some innovations that are just 
uh, no regrets, no, no brainers, long overdue, long overdue improvements. Um, some of the changes that are happening in the court system, for example, are, are fantastic, bringing more services online, delivering some of those processes more, uh, more efficiently. I think those things are, uh, courts have been wanting to do them for a long time, so those have been really positive. There'll also be some other service delivery changes that are clearly not, not, desi not desirable in the long term and clearly will want to go back to a more face-to-face -face approach to delivering, say, some of the services for vulnerable families or, thing or things like that. But there is this ambiguous middle group where actually we need some good, careful thought, um, some good evidence, some good consideration of risk and what risks we're exposing ourselves to, even if those haven't presented themselves yet. They they may well in the future. There'll be a large group of innovations that we've made that, that fit in that ambiguous middle that actually need good, smart, careful engagement, um, uh, evaluation rather, to actually work out whether they, or, or which of those features they will, we want to continue into the long term. I think the more, the more public purpose organisations can be planning now, can be collecting good information about their performance and about and, and articulating and assessing the risks that they're exposing themselves to. The, the better place you are to, the better place you'll be to come out of this with, with good innovation that lasts for the long term and, and then going back to um, more normal, if you like, business models for those areas where the, where the, the risk or the, the compromising of effectiveness is, is too much. Yeah, I really like that. Too. I think that goes really nicely full circle back to our earlier conversation around reimagining public value in a post-COVID world um, and the dimensions and the indicators we put on what success looks like for organisations post-COVID and informing, as you said, um, the next generation of evaluation. That notion of smart evaluation um, makes a lot of sense. Or I think this whole sort of quote unquote new normal does seem to be a very constant ever present thing that no one quite knows what it is yet. And I think it's useful to have those tools in place in order to try and figure it out. So instead of just continuing to say there will be a new normal, we have to change. There's directions you're taking in order to get there, which from you guys, correct me if I'm wrong, sounds like very much around public value and around wherever wherever you work in the public sector, what those values are and how quickly and in a targeted way can you really get to that value and achieve that value? Yeah, I think that's right. I think having a, a clear articulation of what, what, the, what your values are, what your contribution to public value is as an organisation is the starting point. Um, the, the other connection for me is we often talk in evaluation about the challenge of taking things to scale. Um, so it's very easy to, um, it's not easy, it's very hard, but it is uh, more manageably easy to deliver a, a pilot program, to evaluate that program and to develop, um, yeah, develop a sense of whether this is an, an evidence-based, evidence um, you know, successful intervention. It is then another thing to take that to scale. Um, and the, the, the more that the implementation science literature develops, the more they talk about that importance of, of taking things to scale. We're in, we're in an environment really where that process is speeded up to a great deal. Um, telehealth in, in, in um, the general practice has gone from pilot to um, uh, hundreds of thousands of consultations within, within weeks. Um, that process of pilot to widespread rollout has, has been accelerated unlike anything we've seen before. But that challenge of taking things to scale is still there. And that's where, for me, smart evaluation, it's not just not just is this working today, but how do we take this to scale? What does it mean to implement this well? Uh, what are the wider systemic impacts this has on our organisation or on our system? 
um, yeah, smart evaluation thinks about those things as well, um, and yeah, recognises the need to move quickly, but also the the need to um, think carefully um, about about how our, our service systems are being maintained. And perhaps another thing that really supports that that we haven't touched on yet, um, Haley, is is this idea of what does the culture of um, a modern and agile public purpose sector look like post COVID? Does it shift? Does it change? Um, what do the values and behaviours of individual organisations within the sector look like um, after we get through this crisis? And, and I think necessarily they should change. Um, and, and I think part of that is I, I do I do worry sometimes when I see sort of the value statements of organisations that really sort of replicate kind of what I describe as some of the global values of the sector, which are very important around you know, integrity, um, communication, uh, accountability, teamwork, um, and so on. I mean, they're, they're certainly vital to the fabric of the public purpose sector, but, but they don't speak to the distinctiveness um, of individual organisations. And I think now, especially on the other side of COVID, it's going to be vital that organisations know who they are, know their identity, um, their points of difference, and the role they want to play in their ecosystem. And culture is a massive part of that. So I'd really encourage leaders to look at your values um, and ask the question around, as well as your strategy, of course, we've spoken a bit about that today, but is your, your culture going to be post-COVID ready? Um, are the values and behaviours where, you where you'd like them to be in, in this new world? And I think shifts are needed and I would encourage those shifts to be reflective of the points of difference and the very unique role that your organisation plays in your ecosystem something that you can um, really ripple through uh, and be proud of and your, your, your people, your stakeholders feel connected to is what makes um, your organisation truly distinctive. Looking at wave four, the deep social and economic damage, I think it will be hard to identify in the future what damage was or wasn't a direct result of the impact of COVID. And one thing in particular that has come to light is how it will disproportionately affect women and young people. So considering who will be affected and the damage that will or could be caused, how do you think we should approach recovery and stimulus? I think it's really great that you put the um, gendered nature of the, of the impacts from the crisis on the table because um, it, it's, it's clearly early days in terms of the, the economic fallout and too early to say anything with, with any great confidence. Obviously, the JobKeeper program has masked some of the impact to some degree and and that's been, and that's obviously a positive thing. So it will be, like you say, it will be a while before we know the full extent of um, the impacts. It does seem, um, it does seem from the early data already that that women are being hit um, harder by the economic crisis than men. Um, partly that's because the sectors um, that have been hit the most tend to employ um, more women. So accommodation, services, food, art and recreation, those sorts of things. Different parts of retail that have really suffered um, more than others. Uh, are areas that tend to in, um, employ women. Um, but also um, the early data is also suggesting that with whatever the sector and, and um, that women are, tend to, are tending to be impacted more than men. Um, job losses for women have been better than, have been greater than for men across across all just about all sectors. Um, so there's there's obviously explanations around that relating to more more likely to be in casual or less stable employment. I also think we probably need to face it that our journey towards gender equality in workplaces has still got a long way to go. And um, we're seeing that play out in, in the economic con contraction and what that means for jobs uh, for women. 
this is probably one area where I have some small criticism to make of, of early government, Australian government response, which for the most part has been been fantastic. There, there is a concern for me that we are jumping too quickly to building our way to recovery. That's obviously something that governments uh, are often keen to do. Building things is great for our booming population and um, building things is really important for a lot of, a lot of parts of our economy, our, our school system, our, our transport and infrastructure system, our uh, health system, there's no doubt plenty of need uh, for infrastructure, but it, we do need to acknowledge that construction is not one of the most deeply impacted sectors. Other, other sectors have been impacted more deeply. And the skill sets of those people who work in art and recreation, in retail, in, in food sectors, um, they're not too readily um, applied to the construction sector. Um, I do think we need to think more creatively and more wisely about how we do economic stimulus that does recognise um, uh, the people that have been impacted most by the crisis what, and, the, and the, the skill sets and the capacities that they have. Um, and that particularly does mean um, thinking about women and um, thinking about how we can um, address the disproportionate impact of the, of the economic crisis so far on women. Absolutely, Tom. And, and the other, I mean, there's so many groups um, that we could also speak about as being you know, impacted in different ways, but also um, as focusing on um, the recovery journey for, but I think youth is another uh, really important cohort around um, that we need to think about when we're focusing our mind on recovery. Um, our youth are our future um, and they will be kind of the custodians of many of the, um, the decisions that we're making now. And I think having um, them part of this conversation as we, we turn our mind to recovery is a vital cohort um, that today's public purpose leaders need to be thinking about and, uh, and bringing to the table. I think the other, other point worth, worth raising is, is simply just putting on the table the inherent challenge of stimulus investment. So clearly uh, for government, the priority is going to be get, to get these things moving as quickly as possible. The, the quicker that um, investment and value creation can be brought back into the Australian economy, the, the, the less the downturn will be. And that's clearly a big part of what stimulus is about. But we also, the tension in that is recognising the scale of investment that we're talking about does have the potential to really reshape our economy and reshape parts of sectors or, or parts of our economy in, in long-lasting ways. So there is a real tension there for, for public, public leaders who are involved in um, delivering those um, stimulus and recovery investments to, to, to keep one eye to the future, to recognise that the the funding models that you're introducing are going to be with us for, for years to come. For the investment, uh, the, the infrastructure we're investing in is, is creating um, new pathways and connections and uh, roads and facilities for, for years to come that um, businesses and organisations will be substantially reshape um, what they do, how they do it in, in relation to such a, such a large investment. Uh, so having that, having an eye not only to the stimulus value and getting that getting that money out the door, to speak frankly, um, as quickly as possible. Is certainly, that's certainly a priority for the public, um, for public leaders. Nevertheless, having, having an eye towards the long-term impacts of these investments is, is important. Um, and, and making sure we're reshaping sectors and industries and, and the way our systems work with, with a plan for the long-term and with a view to the long-term. Well said, Tom. Ben Schramm, Tom Craven, thanks so much for being part of Public Sector Perspectives. Thank you, Hayley, for having us. Our pleasure, Hayley. Thanks. That brings us to the end of part two of this episode of Public Sector Perspectives. 
If you missed part one, it's available on the IPA Victoria SoundCloud page, as are all episodes of Public Sector Perspectives. As mentioned at the beginning of this episode, you can access Cube Group's full report about response and recovery on their website. Public Sector Perspectives is produced by IPA Victoria. You can get in touch with Public Sector Perspectives by emailing info at vic.ipa.org.au or via IPA Victoria on all the usual social media channels. I'm Hayley Ricketson, and thanks for listening.